Welcome to the Gate 7 International Podcast, your official English source for Olympiakos FC, Greek Super League football, and the Greek men's national team. My name is Peter Thompson. I'm here with Adi Bulubasis, Lambros Sirmos, and our special guest, Stephen Koduru. Stephen, how are you doing? I'm very good, thank you. Uh, thank you so much for having me on the show, guys. Yeah, no, thank you so much for coming on. We've got you staying up a little bit late. We're recording just after the end of the Greece-Kosovo match. So I think you said it was about 10 p.m. local time in the UK. Yeah, so we will uh, we'll, we'll give you some time and, and hopefully it doesn't get too late. But um, we want to just cover a few housekeeping things before we get into the real meat of the podcast where we'll be discussing both the national team and their recent results as well as some Olympiakos transfer rumors. We do want to remind everyone that the Greek Cup final is next weekend, or supposedly. If it doesn't get canceled in that time, then we will have a podcast coming out for everyone on Sunday the 13th. That will be featuring Konstantin Levoyanis from Olympiakos EU. You can give him a follow on Twitter at CLEVO275, or you can follow the Olympiakos EU account at Olympiakos EU, and that's Olympiakos with a C. Additionally, um, oh, actually, that's it. Uh, I have just finished my lunch. I was making some pasta with olive oil, and I'll tell you what, you Greeks probably know something about this because I am getting really fed up. The olive oil here is just not good enough. It's, it's just the local store brand. I wish I could get some olive oil from Greece and have it shipped across the pond. Adi, do you know any way to do that? Actually, Peter, I do. You know, our friends at Brace International, they import stuff from Greece all the time. Olive oil, marble, anything that reminds you of Greece that you'd like to have in Canada oh. or anybody else that wants to have it in their own country. They're based in Baltimore, Maryland. They can coordinate shipping all over the country from Greece to the United States, from Greece to Canada, from U.S. and Canada to Greece as well. Just give them a call at 410-675-4696 or shoot them an email at sales at piraeusintl.com. That's Piraeus, like the port in Greece. Oh, awesome. Problem. Yeah, I could get some olive oil, get some marble, just have, have some marble strewn about the house as well. Might not be a bad idea. Anyway, I'm sure, uh, obviously, we have a lot of Greek listeners, so if folks want a little little piece of the motherland in their home across the pond, then that seems like a great option. Uh, covering some social media announcements, we are expanding the brand of Gate7 International. We have launched an Instagram account that you can go ahead and follow at Gate7INTL. And we will be posting announcements, including episode releases, as well as more opportunities for you all to get involved with us and tell us what you want to see on the pod. Additionally, we are going to start dropping our episodes on YouTube. So if you would prefer to listen to your pods on YouTube, we will have those coming up on the Gate 7 International channel. This one should be the first one that will be released on YouTube, but we can also posthumously release some of the older ones. With that, we'll start talking about actual football, which is what you all came here for. But I do want to ask you, Stephen, um, obviously you are a writer for Hellas Football, which you can follow on Twitter at Hellas Footy. And I was wondering if you could just give us a quick background about yourself and about Hellas Football and what you guys do over there. 
Um, well, I am of Greek Cypriot descent. I was born in North London, uh, in Enfield, where most Greek Cypriots still of English descent are from. And um, I can't, well, I don't live there anymore, but um, yeah, uh, us at Hellas Football, we try our best to cover all bases when it comes to Greek football. Um, we have a lot of guys who support a variety of teams from Greece, you know, obviously Olympiagos, Panathinaikos, Balk, Aris, even Larisia as well. So, yeah, it's, it's just nice to get everyone's perspectives and there's always friendly rivalry between one another and we try our best mm -hmm. to give like the, the best kind of content on Greek football that, that you can find on social media um, with blogs, with regular updates on transfer rumours. Recently with the Greek games, especially we've been doing live updates on the matches themselves and what's going on if people can't stream because finding a stream outside of Greece is <laughs> very difficult. Yep. Yes. Um, and uh, yeah, so I've, it's been, I've, I've been doing it for the last few months, um, especially since lockdown. It's given me something really enjoyable to do something I didn't really think I was capable of doing in terms of writing about football. So it's been, it's been great. I've, I've, I've really enjoyed doing blogs um, and like discussing topics with other members of the community. And it's, it's great to build a community on, uh, a great, on Greek football. Yeah. And, and we, we like to think that we're sort of a different part of that community as well, but we've certainly all enjoyed the Hellas football product as a whole, and you're writing on there as well. Uh, it's really nice to obviously see that stuff in English. Uh, the other two hosts of this podcast can speak Greek, but I cannot, still working on that. So it is nice to have. And we've certainly appreciated looking into your match ratings for the most recent two international games with Greece. The Slovenian ones are out now. And as of recording this, the Kosovo ones are not out because the game just ended, but I'm sure we'll be seeing those any time now. Uh, yeah, they are They are done. I haven't actually sent it off yet, but um, by the time this uh, podcast gets sent out, obviously they'll be on they'll be on right. Twitter and Instagram and any other form of social media that we are on. Um, and yeah, you'll get my thoughts, a brief kind of match overview of what I thought of the game, kind of little match overview of each player as well. You can agree or disagree, anything you want to put in the comments below. Yeah, by all means, you know, I'm open to any constructive criticism on my opinions and anyone else's. Of course, yeah, and, and we feel the same way about constructive criticism here. Um, obviously, the Greece versus Slovenia match ended in a 0-0 draw. It was obviously, because of that, a bit uneventful, and I personally would have wanted to see more. Looking through your match ratings, I think, I think we all mostly agreed with everything we saw. Um, the few ones that... I would say are a bit more controversial in terms of how they played would be Yanulis at left back, Bakasetas in attacking midfield, and Zeka in defensive midfield. I know Adi has some metrics on Yanulis's play. Um, and Adi, if you'd like to get into those, that would be very cool. Absolutely. We have a lot of cool metrics for all three of those guys. Uh, but, you know, first and foremost, we would like to focus a little bit on Yanulis, kind of why there was this bit of a split decision with regards to how well he played. Now, Stephen, you, I know you rated Jan Luis about a 7 out of 10. Um, that was on your, on your ratings. And I don't think we really disagreed with a lot. Uh, I think for the three of us, we probably would have given him something a little bit, only, or a little bit under, only because when we kind of took a, 
a deeper dive into the player metrics, he didn't really perform, I guess, as well or not as bad as we thought he did. It was actually a little bit worse, uh, mainly because not, not defensively. Defensively, he was okay, but more offensively with the ball. And this could be for contextually for a couple of different reasons. Obviously, we know Matalos didn't have a great game, but there were a couple of things on the offensive her that he didn't do so well. Yeah, I think that's completely fair. I, I think when I did the rating initially, it was very much from a defensive perspective. I thought he was very solid defensively. And I think maybe the seven was, I get, uh, giving him a seven was the fact that I don't feel like he did enough on the attacking front, hence why uh, the rating. But yeah, um, I, I, I would agree with you in that, certainly. I, I thought defensively he, he, show, he showed himself Worthy of starting, obviously Zimikas couldn't start. Would have liked to see Zimikas start, but you know, Janulis did definitely uh, show why he was given the the nod to play that game. Yeah, uh, yeah, and this is certainly the. Oh, sorry to jump in on you, I, but Janulis uh, is definitely one of the more controversial figures for the Greek national team, and. I can already see it now. We're going to get comments on social media. Oh, you guys just like Chimikas. You're, you're talking down on Yanulis. We get that, guys. We hear that all the time. But I guess one comment I would um, jump in on, you mentioned um, Mandalos had a poor game, and I think it would have been nice to see him have a little more time with uh, Masuras working uh, the two of them. I know, uh, of course, Chimikas and Masuras work really well for Olympiacos. Maybe it would have been nice to see them play a little more together, not just, I think it was only seven minutes, three, seven, seven yeah, minutes. Yeah, it was seven, yeah. I think. Yeah. I, I just think the problem with Mandelos in that game, I I, I know he can, and I've, I've heard this from a lot of Ajax fans, he can play on the left, but that I don't think that's necessarily his best position. I think if he had played central attacking midfield, and like you said, maybe have somebody like Masuras, or whoever else is capable of playing left midfield next to him, I felt he would have been more comfortable. I don't, I don't think he quite got into the game. He did play for the vast majority of the game, but maybe that's just on the manager not taking him off soon enough, perhaps. Uh, I, I would agree with that 100%. Um, you know, uh, but looking, focusing more on, on what Yanulis actually did, he, he, he had five crosses during the game and connected with nothing. Uh, and he wasn't the only one, by the way. We had multiple players that attempted crosses against Slovenia and nobody connected. The only player on the Greek national team that connected a single cross was Bakakis. And Bakakis connected four out of five of his crosses. He was the only one that was really able to find anybody's head. Um, Janouris also did make some attempts to dribble on that left side, kind of take a couple of defenders on. None of them really worked, and he only had one really progressive run with the ball that actually made meaningful progression towards the goal. And that, of course, was cut out after about 20 meters of dribbling. This is something we know Tsimikas is much more successful with, and Tsimikas is a little bit more accurate on the cross. So when we say that we believe Tsimikas is the starter, it's not just that we believe, you know, defensively he is very successful or that he could do at least what Yanulis can or better. It's that Tsimikas can also do the offensive part better. And this is why Tsimikas got a 20 million euro move to Liverpool. It is not because he is an average Greek footballer. He is, a, he is the real deal. And that is why he's at Liverpool because of these metrics. Now, Tsimikas obviously didn't play for various concerns with Corona. 
Uh, I believe he did end up testing positive finally when he had the fever on the second day, which is why he didn't play. Tsimikas will normally be the starter here. He will normally start, and you can expect him to do what he did for Olympiacos. He's going to get his 60, 70 touches a game. He's going to make a lot of runs forward. He's going to overlap very well with whoever's there. He works well with many different wingers. We saw him work well with multiple wingers on the left side at Olympiacos. I think this is an area when he does return and when he's healthy, he can really help the national team. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that, personally. I mean, you know, Jan Nulis for Balk has been, overall, I'd say he, he has been one of the, the best left-backs in, in Greece over the last season, especially, and he's really growing as a player, and there's reasons why he is also linked to the Premier League with Newcastle United, whether that actually happens or not is uncertain currently. But, you know, if they do, if Newcastle got him, maybe they'd get a great left-back in Jan Nulis. Um, and yeah, at the end of the day, I think that, uh, for any national team, it should be about picking players who deserve to be there, not just on merit because, oh, they played for Olympiagos, oh, they played for Liverpool or whoever, you know, they should be there because form decides that they have been that they should be there. They they should deserve to be part of the national team because of their form. And, and both Janus and Zimikas over the season deserve to be called up by, uh, by, by Greece to play for them. And I think that comment on form builds off of um, John Van Schimp made that comment in the preseason or preseason, the pregame uh, press conference where he, I think there was a Greek reporter who asked him how, how it had affected him that the Greek media was very upset that Buhalakis, Masuras, and Fortunis weren't getting run as they were the champions of Greece and they should play more, et cetera, et cetera. I, I would like to hear your comments on that. I think that was a huge debate in the Greek community. I read that on t on social media when they when the reporters asked him that, and I just thought it was a really, I thought it was a really odd thing to ask because, like I, I, as I literally just said, I just and you know this is as an Olympiagos supporter, he should decide who who starts and who doesn't. You know, if they if they perform well in training before the match, and he feels like somebody has performed well enough to play in set a X, Y, Z position, regardless of what, where they play, how much they played or who they play for, they should start. You know, if he doesn't think Mazuras or Fortunis or whoever for Olympiagos shouldn't play, then there's a reason why, you know. May, and, you know, this might be a debate for later, but, you know, maybe Fortunis, maybe, maybe if not started against Slovenia, maybe it certainly would, should have been brought on at, at a certain point in the game to maybe improve the attacking threat of Greece but yeah at the, at the end of the day I didn't necessarily agree and I thought it was a weird way of them fishing for him to say something controversial to then rile up supporters which is the last thing that any of the supporters necessarily want right now yeah and it's a very good point that yeah you can't just pick the the players who play for the best teams you have to go off form certainly and obviously, especially with Chimikas being out, I don't think there's anyone who would criticize Yanuris starting. Obviously, if Chimikas is back, then there's competition for sure. But for these two games, he was going to be the one at left back, especially because they're using Stafididis as a center back, it seems. And I think he looked better against Kosovo. Uh, he wasn't tested super toughly, again, defensively, obviously, but... I think one, and you sort of teased it there, one decision 
that could be debated in terms of the manager would be with the 10 role or the central attacking midfield position. We used Bacasetas there in both games and he, I will, I want to say Bacasetas is a good player. I think he is good at a lot of things. And we talked about last week, he presses really well. He can hold on to the ball, but I just don't know if that is the right position for him. And we've got Fortunis and we've got Mantaros who can even play in central midfield. As you said, you know, he can play on the left, but the 10 is his best position. Well, we brought this up during the midweek series. Bacasetas has his uses for this team, especially mm -hmm. if we're going to be playing a bigger country or a country that, let's say, is more talented than us, like a Germany or a Spain. You need that guy that's going to cover that ground, that's going to be very aggressive and very physical like him and also help you keep possession. Bacasetas is very accurate, you know, in terms of his passing. Now, he does mainly lateral and back passes, but sometimes that's what you need in order to keep possession. But when we're trying to break down minnows like Slovenia and Kosovo, you need a, a real maestro, you need a real playmaker. And Fortunis is that maestro and playmaker, even when he goes cold. And we saw that when we were comparing Bacasetas' last five games with uh, Alanya Sport and Fortunis' 51 minutes against the Wolves. Fortunis had more key plays and more shot assists in 51 minutes than Bacasetas had in five games. Yeah, I just, I, I want to jump in real quick, and I have no problem with Bacasetas being in the team and being a part of it, but I think my real problem is Bacasetas being the captain and someone that's unsubbable almost in these games. I don't think Bacasetas could have done anything to be taken off of the pitch, and that's really worrying to me going forward because I just don't think he he has that quality in the final third to open up a team. And yes, you, you brought up all those good points that he does, but Fortunis has that quality. He has that quality to open up teams that Bacasetas won't have. And I'm going to say he'll never have. And so I, 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 I just can't see how Bacasetas pushes Fortunis out onto the wing and, and basically is unsubbable during this game. Fortuny should have moved to the 10. I'm sorry, I'm going to go on a little rant. And Masura should have come on for Bakatas. It, it's just frustrating to me seeing Bakasetas take the captain's armband and basically pushed forward as one of the key players of this team. Maybe he has some influence in the, in the locker room. I don't know, but he's not that player for me. Now, um, Stephen, uh, kind of to really show where our frustration is coming from. And I do want you to speak to this, kind of your opinions on the matter. Um, and part of where our frustrations are coming from. So Bacasetas against Slovenia had uh, 47 passes. Of those 47 passes, how many do you, would you guess were forward passes? Forward passes. I mean, in terms of percentage? No, I'm gonna say... any, just give a number. It could be any number. I'm going to say... Okay, I'm going to just, I guess, kind of just, I'm going to say 20. Let's say 20. Right. And this is very difficult. I mean, the only reason yeah. I even know this is because we now, uh, you know, courtesy of Scout, have, have access to these metrics, which helps us paint, you know, a little bit different picture, a little bit clearer picture of the game. Of his 47 passes, only five were forward. And when we say a forward pass for our listeners, a forward pass is a pass that went more forward than to the side. He only had five of them. Now, some people say, well, you know, with the flow of the game, that can change. Yes, but contextually speaking, these five forward passes were all on the right flank, never went more than 10 meters, and they were only two Bakakis. 
So when you, when you see your number 10, who is supposed to be the guy that's unlocking these teams, he's supposed to be that offensive-minded guy, the playmaker, and you see him with only five forward passes, but he has more back passes than the rest of the team, any other player on the rest of the team, that doesn't settle well. Uh, I compared him with metrics to, again, you know, Fortunis and uh, other number 10s we see around Europe. Not that, well, again, the number 10 seems to be a position that's sort of kind of dying. It's not used as often except by Portuguese managers. But other number 10s I found, barely any, you know, you could, on your, on one hand, you could count how many backward passes they had. These guys are risk takers. They get passes forward. Uh, a lot of the time, they're way more than 10 meter passes. And again, this isn't to say that he doesn't serve a purpose. It's just when we need a guy that's going to link up with his wingers, especially on one-twos, you know, when he comes up, he meets up with like a guy like Bakakis, and it's one touch, one touch to get to the winger, to unlock the winger. Bakasetas didn't really do that well as well. In fact, Corbelis had more of those opportunities where he would link up with the right back or link up, attempt to link up with Yanulis to link up with either of the wingers than Bakasetas did. That's a little bit problematic for me. Only because, for me, a number 10, that's, that's his job. He needs to be the one doing that. Now, Bacacetas does half the battle right. He is moving around a lot. We see, it, we see him do it constantly. I just don't think he has the technical ability or the technical capacity to be that type of player. I think he serves a purpose. But when we're unlocking some of these smaller teams that are parking the bus, I think we need a completely different type of player. And uh, I really want to know what your thoughts are about that. Well... I guess it depends on the attacking midfielder the Vanship wants for Greece because if he wants a traditional number 10, he's going to always try to look for those forward passes and create attacking runs and, and be that hard of the attack, then yeah, that's what Fortunis is. And, and like obviously, the attacking midfield role has changed a lot, especially at the, at the top level of football. You know, sometimes, they, sometimes managers do want their attacking midfielders to drop back and then create... Um, attacking runs from deeper. Maybe that's what he's trying to get Bacacetas to do. But yeah, from from both games, I, I felt I felt he played. I I don't know if people will agree with me or not, but I felt like he played better against Slovenia than he did against Kosovo. Because at least at least when he dropped deep, he I felt like he tried to play the ball forward, whether it was to the like to play it sideways or play it a, a bit more forward, like I said. And then eventually, obviously, he dropped deeper and deeper, and then and then it and then you know he it didn't seem like he was in the game at all. Whereas against Kosovo, I didn't realize he was on the pitch. If I'm honest, other than the fact that the starting eleven said that Bakazedas was on the pitch and playing <laughs> at number num, number number uh, number ten, because I saw Fortunis on the on the on the team sheet, and I was like, okay, Fortunis must be playing number ten. And then I saw he was playing on the left, and I thought, oh. Okay then, so Bakasetas must be playing attacking mid. So yeah, it, I, I, like I said, I, I, I think it depends on what the manager wants him to do, and maybe he's a big influence in the dressing room to be the captain. But I, I think that's that's another subject altogether. But I, I personally think Greece need to find a concrete leader in their squad, and it's something they still haven't had probably since Garagounis, if I'm if I'm completely honest. Yeah, I think you're you're so right about that leader. And the strange thing to me is it seems like the two leaders right now are Stafilidis and Bacasetas, which, um, to be honest, it seems very strange to me. 
And second, I wanted to bring up your point about Fortunis today. Fortunis did a great job, I felt, of coming and distributing the ball. It seemed like he wasn't even playing on the left. He was filling in those gaps almost as a second 10, like we were playing with two 10s. It was a really strange game, and I thought he played actually pretty well. I'm going to show a little bias there. I thought he played really well today. Yeah, weirdly, I actually don't have a problem with Stafilidis being a leader. I don't know why. It's I can some For some reason, I can just see that in him as a player. And I don't think centre-back is his natural role, but he doesn't do a terrible job there. And I think, I think he, before he got injured and obviously was subbed off for Siovas, who, you know, is a much more competent player in that position because that's his natural position and he was much more comfortable in that role. I felt like Stavili, this can certainly be one of the leaders in the dressing room if he's picked and if Manship thinks he, he should be called for, to play for Greece consistently as he is. Yeah, Stafilidis is actually pretty good with the ball at his feet. But in terms of defensive ability, I mean, we saw from Siovas's first, or the, the match against Slovenia, Siovas, I have some wonderful metrics about him as well. I mean, he won everything. Every aerial duel, almost every ground duel, nothing got by him. And he's he might not be as competent with the ball at his, his feet as Stafilidis, but he didn't lose it in dangerous areas. And that's really all we can ask of a center back. The important thing and I've said this in a previous podcast that I like to remind people because with the advent of guys like Sergio Ramos and PK, everybody is, a lot of people look for these ball playing center backs. But the problem when you only look for a ball playing center back is you get guys like David Luiz. Ball playing center back, but they can't defend for anything. So Stavridis, I think, is if that's his role, I'm okay with it. As long as he has a very solid partner in the back with him. I'm okay with it. You never know who's going to be the locker room and the dressing room, guys. It is what it is. I mean, that's why we saw guys like Bukalakis on the field for previous managers because they he was said to be very vocal in the locker room. You know, that's changed up clearly with with uh, JBS, uh, Van Chip, of course, that is who I'm referring to. And, you know, it is what it is. But you brought up a really good point about Bacasetas. What type of 10 is JBS looking for? And we know that a lot of managers value that hard work. And again, I referenced David Fuster for Olympiacos back when we had Ernesto Valverde. David, David Fuster was not the most talented player we had at that 10 position when we played with Ernesto Valverde or at that, that lagging forward position when Ernesto Valverde would kind of adjust the, the lineup. But he did press constantly, left everything out on the field. And it can't be understated how much that effort is held in esteem by a lot of managers, especially Dutch managers. They do want to see that effort. And I personally, I believe that's why we see Bacasetas included is because of that. Now, whether I agree with it or not, obviously I, my preference is to have, especially against the minnow, to have a guy like Fortunis. I'd even rather see Madalos at the 10, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. But you, you're absolutely right. JBS does seem to prefer that hard worker at the 10 position because the way the system's set up, we get a lot out of our wingers, especially guys like Limnios. And I think yeah. if we've learned anything from the last two games, Limnios is a mainstay in this team. Yep. I, I, yeah, I, I can't stress that enough. He was brilliant. Mm -hmm. Both games, I, you know, not just the fact that he scored very early on in the game against Kosovo tonight, but he was just, by, not by far, but he was certainly very much the best part of Greece's attack. Going forward, he was he was causing them problems down the right. He was he was crossing in balls. He was creating chances. He is a 
talent that I think any Greek side would want to have. And uh, slightly jealous of Balk for having a talented like Greek youngster like him in their squad. Yeah, no, I, I can't do anything but agree. That moment uh, against Slovenia, I think in the first half, when he just absolutely down the right flank dusted that defender and just went right by him. He had a nice nutmeg today against Kosovo. I, I really enjoy watching him. Just he's such a, a fun player. He's quick. He moves his feet quickly. He's got that low center of gravity that you like to see on wingers, and, and it, makes it, it makes him such a good dribbler of the ball. And he's just so quick and active down that flank. And yeah, I mean, Pauk fans, if you're listening, this is a Pauk player that I very much think is a good player for the national team and, and a good player overall. So write that down. But I totally agree with you on Luminos. And I think in the Slovenia game, you gave him, uh, what was it, an eight or a nine? If I'm I think, not uh, Yeah, I gave, I'm, I've got it up here. I gave him an eight. Uh, eight, yeah. Game. Yeah, I and think that was good. Completely justified, you know. Uh, what, what, what probably kept him from being in the nine was a lot of the giveaways, obviously. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's, that's the risk. When you're a dynamic player like that, you do take risks, you know. And uh, you know what? He might have tried to dribble a lot and lost a lot, but guess what? That's, that's what he is supposed to be doing, especially some, that's something we need when our offense is very anemic or it's getting very anemic. So to me, that's acceptable for a yeah. player like that. It's very acceptable for him to take those risks and try that, you know, because, you know, more often than not, especially as he develops, he's very young. I think that those, those opportunities where he might get stuffed up, we'll see him start burning people more often. I think as far back as 2014, when we were qualifying for the World Cup, I remember even then Greece struggled to score goals, but it wasn't for the same reasons. I think, I, and like obviously defensive solidarity is what Greece is known for, et cetera, et cetera. But I just think, I just think that back, even back then, Greece just had a stronger kind of mid, midfield two or three, where, wherever they wanted to play. Whereas now it just seems as though there's about three or four players in the attack that are all great players individually, but they just can't quite link it up currently to then convert those chances or create, even create chances consistently enough actually just touched on something really important and it's not yet something we've addressed in the podcast uh, we've only had two midweek series so far where we've kind of really touched on greek football but i think this is a really important time for us to just briefly address identity right greece's identity has always been defense first every single team right from previous um not just generations obviously but uh, previous coaches, our identity has always been we built from the defense. We had probably one of the strongest defensive back fours in Europe, you know, uh, and I'm thinking of defenses, for, you know, what we used to have. I mean, the actually more recently, Manola, Socrati, Papastathopoulos, right? And then on the right, we would have Torosidis, you know, all in their prime. And then on the left, we were switching between Savelas or Holevas, depending whether we needed somebody a little bit more defensive or somebody that could actually get forward with the ball very strong back fours. And now, of course, with the, I don't want to call it really a schism, but kind of the split with some of the older guys that were a problem in the locker room, Socrates and Manola, and some other guys that we won't name, you know, we're, we're seeing now that the defense isn't quite as, it's not quite as strong as it used to be, at least on paper. Yeah, and... I think I think it's quite it's still such a controversial topic when 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 talking about Manolas and Socrates because I think on on paper they are still 
especially Manolas, in my opinion, he is still Greece's best centre-back. But he, I think he lost that opportunity to play for the national team with the way he acted. And, mm -hmm. you know, that, like I said, that's a controversial topic because some people still think he should be there. Some people still think he should start for Greece every single game. And some people think he shouldn't be let, let anywhere near the national team. And I'm kind of on the fence. I, I would like to see him play, but with the right attitude. He can't come in and think that he is bigger than the ethnic E because there is no one bigger than Greece. When it comes to the team, you play for the team. You don't play for yourself. Um, and, yeah, I, 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 I think that's, uh, that's my opinion on it, <laughs> personally. I, I agree with you 100%. Yeah. And I think uh, you're absolutely right. And we actually briefly kind of mentioned that in the previous podcast in the mid midweek series that Manola and Socrates did have way better player metrics, even now when they've kind of maybe aren't as good as they were a couple years ago in, in terms of how they played. But even now, when we compare them with the current crop of midfield or midfielders, sorry, center backs that we're dealing with, it, you know, on paper, yes, they are better, but I'm sorry, you could be the best player in the world if you are a mess in the locker room, if you're not helpful in the locker room, you know, you're, nobody's bigger than the team. Uh, and, you know, speaking of controversy con in controversial players, Zeka was actually a player of a very controversial nature after, especially the Slovenia game. He, before, before the, um, the start of this Nations League group, I would have said that he's been extremely consistent for Greece. And... Again, it's a controversial topic that is even in the squad because some people don't like the fact that he has been neutralised to play for Greece. Mm. Um, but, yeah, with that all aside, I don't think he played that well against Slovenia. I think he, again, I, I said this before we started recording, I, I'm not sure about him and Gurbelis playing together in that midfield too. And I think... He got better, he got better against Kosovo, but I don't think he's been as good as he could have been in these last two games. Yeah, ju just to jump in, I think the problem with Zika and the Greek midfield right now is I, I look down the roster and I just, I don't know who you partner. I don't think, uh, outside of Galanopoulos, I don't really see see a perfect midfield right now. And I think Zeka has to be in the midfield almost right now because of the place we're at, I, I don't think that's just my opinion at the moment, looking at the roster. Yeah, I think I think it's just one of those things, unfortunately, we're, we're, we're stacked with in certain positions. And then with every generation, you, you become stacked in certain positions with, especially midfield last generation, like the end of the golden era with, you know, Gatsuranis, Garagunis, etc. Like they, they were the heart of the midfield for the most part. And then we lost that. We don't really have anyone who can fill that role. Uh, who plays at a good level. So, yeah, at, at, the, at the moment, it would be Yonogopoulos or, or Zeka or Grubelis currently. Yeah, and, uh, I mean, we we definitely agreed. Uh, you know, Zeka it definitely had a rough start to the Slovenia game, that's for sure. At almost every, his first four interceptions, he would win the ball and then immediately give it back away as soon as he won the ball. He does have an incredible work rate. I mean, he... When, even compared to our defense, he had more interceptions or just as many interceptions as our center backs, which, you know, that's pretty stellar. He's all over the place. Eight recoveries, four which were in our own half, of course. And he surprisingly, 
to to all of us, he did have about 35 passes, you know, from winning balls, even receiving. He actually only misplaced one, which I thought was surprising because we saw him lose the ball a lot in that Slovenia game, but he was actually a little bit more clinical in maintaining possession and dispossessing the other team than at least it appeared to be because he did have the tendency to lose possession a lot. It's just it's so difficult because you see a player and you know that, again, we discussed work rate because this is what Van Schip values in Bacasetas. It's hard when you see a guy working this hard and dispossessing players so often to get rid of him because who do you replace him with? Yeah, I think that's a great point. And one thing that I would like to say about Zeka is he just came off of that long se season with Copenhagen. And I, I want to say it was only a few weeks ago they played that 120-minute game against Manchester United. I I don't follow Danish football very closely. I don't know how their season's going or if they're starting soon, but I wouldn't be surprised if he was given a little vacation there and was just getting back in the groove. So a little defense there. And I, as I followed Zeka, I think he's also the captain of that team, Copenhagen, which, which went pretty far in the Europa League, we have to say. And I think he was also voted their best player. So Zeka, Zeka can play for Greece. I, is is my opinion. I, I, I like to give him some slack sometimes, but I think he's a good player. No, I, I agree. I, I'm I'm happy for him to play. You know, like I've said, based on form, I I think he deserves to be part of this Greece squad. I think it's more the like the last two games where I felt like he maybe could have played better. Um, but there's that, that doesn't mean like oh he should never play for the team again. Like he's he's banished back to <laughs> Copenhagen and never play again. <laughs> Yeah. Now, I mean, again, we've also brought up the context. We saw when um, Van Schip, kind of after we were not disqualified, but after we clearly couldn't qualify, you know, at the end of the campaign last year, he he paired, he paired very well with those two games with Galanopoulos. So we know that, I mean, for me, that's our, that's our, that's our go-to midfield pairing. The performances we saw from Galanopoulos and Zeka at the end of the season last season, that's our go-to. Now, Right now, it's kind of about, well, if Galanopoulos is hurt or he's not available or Zeka's not available, then what kind of what do we go with? You know, Kudbelis is – he's a decent player, but again, he's also – he's another holding midfielder. You know, are we going to play two two holding midfielders and be stunted on the uh, on the playmaking front, especially when they're paired with Bacacetas as the 10? Or are we going to go with Bukalakis and Zeka or Bukalakis and Kudbelis when, you know, everybody's had their frustrations with Bukalakis in the past. Seems like he kind of sits a little too far back sometimes. Definitely has an accurate ball, but isn't quite as much of a go-getter in terms of that, that, uh, that bulldog that you want in your midfield. It's, it's definitely very tough. And I think most people would agree that Galanopoulos, you know, Galanopoulos, when he's healthy, of course, and he recovers from his injury, is going to be a mainstay in that midfield. And then whether it's Zeka or Corbelis or whoever's next, so finding who pairs well with him in that double pivot. Yeah, I agree with you. I think when Ganolopoulos has played for for Greece, I just feel like he he just has a lot more about him going forward than this partnership that we have currently. And I, I think, you know, as much as I would, you know, love to be biased and say, oh no, Bugalagis should play because, you know, he's an Olympia Ross player, obviously. <laughs> um, I think... I, I, I don't know. I, whenever I've seen him play in a midfield two for Olympiagos, he hasn't looked as convincing as when he's played in the midfield three. But again, another conversation. But I, that's why I'm not quite sure about Bukalagi's starting if it's a midfield two. Yeah, and I, I, 
I don't want I don't know how long it was ago, but I think I remember seeing a Corbelli's Buhalaki's midfield. And it was terrible. It was so <laughs> it was. hard to watch. I don't know how long ago that was, but I do not want to see that again. And Buhalakis is controversial on his own, on his, on his own. But yeah, that was terrible. Like, let's not do that one hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough. It's tough trying to plug and play in the in the midfield when you have so many of the same type of player. Stephen already kind of talked about that before. Now, we kind of went over already the controversial players for at least the Greece-Slovenia game. Now, Stephen, what would you have liked to see? Seeing what you saw in this game, you are uh, Van Chip. What would you have done, if it were you, to make an adjustment for Kosovo based on what you saw? I think he, he made – I think he rectified some things in this game – Nothing, nothing on Bavlidis. Bavlidis is a good player, but I felt like having Guluris starting was a stronger player to have at centre forward. Um, I, 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 and I think you know, again, Bagasetas is a good player. He does deserve to be playing for the national team. But if you're going to play a number ten, I would play for Dunis or Mandalos there. Mm-hmm. Um, midfield two. We've said before, there's not much we can really do about that midfield too. I, I, you know, probably going to be hypocritical on my own opinion, but I probably would have to start those two. If if those are the players that I've called up and those are the players available, then yeah, sure, that's who I'd play. Um, again, Stavilidis, good player, not in his natural position, as I keep saying. Good, le- a good leader from what from what has been said, but again, the solidity of Silvas is can't be denied. I would play Silvas. Svanas actually surprised me because I, I don't, I haven't, honestly, I don't know much about Svanas, but I thought he did fine. I thought he played fairly well. Times where he looked a bit shaky, where, especially when passing back. But yeah, I, I was happy with, with Svanas and yeah, I, I think again, goalkeeper, not much you can do about it. Vargas probably is the, the best keeper to choose out of the players we, the keepers we brought. Um, so there's not much I would have changed overall from the Kosovo game in terms of players to put in the starting eleven, but yeah, I, I th- and I think he's yeah, um, and I, 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 that's what I would say I think for 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 his choices and my choices in comparison. And what you said on Svarnas, I I'd only watched him once before with Ike in a game post lockdown against Olympiakos and. I think he is the classic example of a young, just a young center back. And center back, just like goalkeeper, I feel is a position where you reach your peak relatively late. And a part of that is because, A, you know, you're not required to do a lot of running, but also just because there's such a a large mental aspect that it takes a really long time for young players to adapt to that. And I feel like watching other teams, watching English football, you see that as well. And so we did see a couple shaky moments from Svanas, but I have to say he did throw in a couple nice tackles, especially against Kosovo. And he has a solid long ball from center back. And obviously we talked about how, yeah, we don't expecting every center back to be sort of this generational talent playing balls from the back, what everyone calls the modern center back is a little naive, but he can actually do a little bit of that. I haven't, you know, done a deep dive into the metrics on Svanas, but he 
obviously, I think he's only 22 years old. He could be certainly a, a big piece of the national team for the future. Absolutely, Peter. And just something for the, for the Kosovo game, jumping a little bit ahead. Sorry, we'll come back. But Svaranas had more, he unlocked the wingers more than Bacasetas did. So, I mean, that, that's really cool to see. I prefer if Bacasetas was doing that. But, I mean, I also thought Svaranas had a, a decent game. I thought he had a decent game yesterday as well. Now, Stephen, what were, what were your thoughts when you saw that Fortunis was starting on the wing? Well, I mean, as I said before, you know, I, I remember when he started, um, when he first came back to Olympiagos after leaving for Germany and he came back. I, he was mostly deployed as a, as a left midfielder, from what mm -hmm. I can remember. Yeah. And yeah. I think it was towards the time he started to get more into the first team that he naturally progressed into an attacking mid. So he is, he is capable of playing left midfield. I just don't think that's where he should be deployed. I think he should be deployed in the centre of centre of the pitch, uh, attacking midfield, where he can be the sole, not the sole part of the attack, but certainly the, the you know one of the most important parts of the attack. And yes, he goes cold sometimes. He's that's been the case for Olympiagos when he's been the, the number ten. Um, but for Greece, you know, I, I I would I would say he he can play there, but I think he, his best role is has and still is attacking mid. Yeah, and I want to jump in on Fortunis. He's pretty controversial as well, I feel, because of his work rate sometimes. He really reminds me of Mesut Ozil. I don't know <laughs> how much you guys see in that, um, but just like a creative midfielder who's not running around so much and blows up on your screen, but just unlocks teams. But I think he needs to learn to play out wide, and I really hope during Matthew Valbuena's time uh, at Olympiacos, he can learn how to play on that wing and move in because as Ari mentioned earlier it, it really seems like the 10 position is being is being almost eliminated we've seen that with Ozil recently at Arsenal so just an idea and Stephen you said it already and when we were talking about Bacasetas how he wasn't really that pivotal in the fixture today and I think a big a big reason of that and I, I wonder if you would agree is because Fortunis it seems like he didn't really want to be out on the on the wing and, um, you know, Lambro just said it, it would be good for him to learn to play there, but it seemed like he was really going central. I'd be interested to look at his heat map whenever that becomes available. I haven't been able to look yet, but it seemed like he was coming into the center and sort of leaving Yanudis out by himself on the left a lot. And, yeah, it just seems like that is where he wants to play, and I agree with you that that is probably where he's the best as well. Yeah, I, I he's... He seems very much more comfortable. Well, well, he, that's because it's his position. He does seem much more comfortable cutting in into the centre of the park because that's where he normally plays. And I think if he wants to really challenge himself as a player, he can learn to play centre midfield, uh, left uh, left midfield, sorry, um, so that he can be more versatile not only for Olympiagos but for for Greece as well. Um, and maybe that him doing that inhibited Bacasetas from really getting into the game uh, consistently. Yeah. And Yanulis, Jan I think, covered himself a lot better, mm -hmm. um, especially in the second game. I think that he was very consistent throughout both games. But I, I, I think that he it wasn't as noticeable on his side of the pitch for me in terms of covering, like, if Fortunis played out into the centre and he was left with all that gap in, in, on the left side of the pitch. Um, 
But I, yeah, I, I think to go back on Fortunis, I, it was very clear. Yeah, it was very clear to me that he kept trying to, to move him into the centre of the park, even though that's not the position he's been given. Uh, and kind of to bring us back a little bit more, uh, uh, overhead view of this game for Kosovo. I know we jumped ahead, started talking about players already. What do you think that we did better in this game than in the previous game? I think, I think it was, despite the fact there was clearly still problems create, like in creating chances, I feel like we just flew out of the we just flew out of the of the blocks a lot quicker, in, uh, hence why the, we scored so early. We pressured them early. We we got into their attack and caused them like into their defence and caused them problems a lot more. I think I think again maybe be seen as biased, but I think having Fortuny starting was a prominent reason as to why we attacked a lot better. Because I think in the start of the match he did start quite positively, and then obviously Limnios we've you know we've we've gushed over him quite a lot anyway. I think he was just so integral to starting starting um, like the most positive moves of the, in the game. Um, I think working hard to get his goal, because obviously the first shot was parried off by the goalkeeper and then he really, really nicely slotted it home. So yeah, I think it, I think it was just a nice to see them start so positively. And talking about, we already discussed how as, as a winger, Linios is he's allowed to make some mistakes and, you know, lose the ball occasionally because it means that he's really taking risks. And if you, if you take that risky attacking move, whether it's taking on a defender or playing a, a cross into the box, if you do that a handful of times, soon enough something good's going to happen. And I think the same can be said for Fortunis. He, we all know he loves to just get the ball and go and bring it up, whether that means going past a defender or playing a, a cheeky long ball that nobody sees coming. That's what he loves to do, and sort of Ozil-esque in the same way that he just likes to sit back and, and he has a flair for the dramatic almost And as a, as a central midfielder, and he was doing a little bit of that, sort of creating those almost out-of-nowhere chances, which is just what you really want to see him do, even if it means he's going to lose the ball occasionally. 100%, Peter, and I just future national team idea. I would love to see Fortunis at the 10, Zolis at the left, and Limnios at the right with either striker up top. I think that would be a great attack. Yeah, and just to support all of your, well, our opinions, I'll say, about Fortunis and his impact on the team, I'm going to read some metrics for you about our dangerous opportunities and our dangerous plays for both games. So in the Slovenia game, the left side of the field for us only generated 9% of threatening opportunities. 9%. That's nothing. We had 93%, which was 18 different plays down the right flank that led to dangerous opportunities. Now, I don't think it's a coincidence that we had two goals. And in the Kosovo game, when Fortunis was in the game and he was playing, it was almost a 50-50 split. In fact, it was slightly to Fortunis. Only because, now again, there is context to this. The, the data is populating kind of as we're doing this podcast. There is some context. Even though a lot of it was being generated by Fortunis, it's important to remember that he was playing some of those balls then down to Limnios on the right. 
because he was drifting in. So even though the metrics count it as uh, threat generation from the left, he was actually, you know, Fortunis was cutting in or coming in and playing on the right. But because his position was over there, the metrics show that it was threatening from the left. So in reality, it was probably more threatening from the right still, but Fortunis was getting much more out of that left side. One, because he was doing more work with Yanulis. He was combining for more one-twos than Mandalos was. Mandalos just had a bad game in the first game. Fortunis had a little bit more chemistry with Yanulis, but Fortunis was coming in more. And that, again, we talked about this before. It could be why Bacasetas felt more invis invisible, because Fortunis was kind of stealing that role for him. And I imagine that's probably why Van Schip took him out. Yeah. Because he was drifting inward. Now, the unfortunate thing was, it is also no coincidence that as soon as Fortunis left the game, that our threatening opportunities, our key plays, our smart pass metrics dropped. I, when I cut the metrics from after Fortunis' sub, literally there's almost nothing. We, we didn't do much after he left. Mazuras, when he came on, I just felt like, yeah, like, like you said, I just felt like the attack on that side of the pitch and in general for us kind of started to decrease a lot. And, you know, he, he, he always, Mazuras always works hard whenever he plays, for, mm -hmm. uh, you know, especially for Olympiagos when I've watched him over the, this year. He's done a great job, especially after we lost Podence. He really filled that role and really, really um, stepped up, especially in, in the biggest of games for us. He just... I, again, I think it was kind of like Baka said this. I, I, he, he didn't really impact the game for me that much when he came on. And I felt like it's a real shame that his performances for, for Olympiagos doesn't always seem to translate for the national team. Well, we kind of saw with Olympiagos because a lot of us had gripes, the same type of gripes about him there. Well, first of all, his accuracy on his shots was horrible. Post-COVID, he was way better. He found the target. But he really, really needs that overlapping run from his fullback to kind of give him some extra space. We saw how often he would link up with Tsimikas or, you know, uh, Mari Kamara would come and then also help and link up with them. And we would open up Tsimikas and then Tsimikas would then play either some type of through ball or play Masuras on, back to Masuras for a long shot outside the box. He needs that wing back or that fullback on his side to really get forward. And Yanulis can get forward, but he's not quite as comfortable doing so or as comfortable getting quite as far forward as Tsimikas does. So that has a huge impact on Masuras' upside because his upside comes from that support. And especially if he doesn't have a number 10 that's going to be unlocking him, or in the case of Olympiacos, a 4-3-3 with a number 8 like Madi that's going to unlock him, it, it really, it severely limits his upside. This is sort of unrelated, but despite being an Olympiacos fan and generally a fan of Masuras, I kind of wanted to see Zolis in one of these two games, at least. I've, I think he probably feels a bit gutted after playing so well in the European game against Besiktas and then being selected and then just not playing. He's such a, he's an interesting player as well. I, I would have, I think, wanted to see him at some point come on. And, you know, he's sort of a different player. He's a little bit more versatile in terms of, of what he can do as well. Yeah, I mean, from, from what a lot of the guys on Hellas Football, who are Balk fans, were saying they really, really wanted to see Zolis play. And it's because, you know, he's a young 
kind of more unknown for, for fans of, who are fans of Bulk, but like he, it would just would have been nice to have seen him introduced, maybe just to give us an idea of what he can bring to the national team. He's mm -hmm. really young. He's going to be quite a raw talent from a you know a very general estimate of what players are like when they're that age in his position. But it, yeah, it just it could have brought something different to to decide when we play Kosovo, and you know Kosovo. Uh, uh, you know, they have some good individual players, but they're certainly not world beaters. And I feel like it could have been a good introduction for him, uh, you know, for senior the senior team. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and also just a point to be made real quick is, as much as we're going on about Limnios, Zolis is currently starting over Limnios and Pauk. Right. I, I think that's something to remember. This kid is a player. It would have been nice to see him. To see him. That, that's a good point, Peter. Now, we've kind of gone into some player discussion, kind of what we did and didn't like from the games. Steven, uh, would you like to give us some maybe player ratings or at least, if not the actual player ratings that are going to go live soon on LS Football, maybe your thoughts on the individual players? Yeah, I can certainly, I can certainly give my thoughts on, um, <laughs> on the players. Uh, yeah, I mean, if I was just to go from, the, from goalkeeper to forward onwards, I think, I think Barca's... Like I think, I think we discussed this before recording. He just didn't look as comfortable um, than he did in Slovenia. Like against Slovenia, he looked so much more kind of assured, so much more comfortable on the ball. He rarely, well, he didn't make really any mistakes from what I can remember of that game. Whereas in this one, every time we had a ball float into the box, or they had a corner, or they had a set piece, or whatever, he whenever he attempted to. Pick, like or to grab the ball, it would just slip out of his hands. And mm -hmm. I think while the goal that we did concede late on isn't entirely his fault because he was fouled in the build-up to that goal, which the referee didn't notice, unfortunately. Um, he, yeah, he, he, it was the same similar mistake again from him. And it's a shame because he is a talented player. Um, and uh, let me just quickly delve into the next one. So Bagagis. Yeah, I thought Bagagis was good. He made some interesting attacking runs. Um got caught out a couple of times on, on the right from from counterattacks, but I, I felt like he had an okay game. I, I was happy with how Bagagis played. Um again Svarnas consistent, still young, still raw, still, you know, a player that can definitely be a future in this national team for sure. Um, Stavilidis, again, like I said, I think I've said this before. I, I remember, I can't remember who it was, but somebody definitely said he was like the Greek David Alaba for, from going from left back to playing centre back, which I, I thought was quite funny. So I put that in, in this. <laughs> um, but yeah, he was fine. Distribution wasn't, was, was okay, but pass backs, like this team needs to learn how to pass from the back. Because Ian Svarnas was at fault for this. But, yeah, he, str he struggled a bit with that. Sad to see him go off injured. But, you know, Selvas came and solidified the back line a bit more. Janulis was great. Like, he, his assists for, um, for Selvas' goal was brilliant. I thought Janulis had a great game. Um, Zeka and Gurbelis, I'm just going to do as a two, seeing as they are the midfield two. Um, I think Zeka played a bit better in this game. I think he did establish himself a bit more in the midfield, but I, again, I, he didn't really stand out for me as a, for anything 
massively that he did. And Gurbelis also, yeah, he. I, I think that they are just a weird two to have, but at the same time, it's not anything that can be helped because that's the midfield that we have at our disposal. Bacazetas, I think until he nearly scored at the beginning of the second half, I forgot he was even there. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, that's probably down to Fortunis cheekily trying to steal the number 10 of them. And then, you know, Fortunis himself, he started the game well. I think, Like you said, he is a lot of the... Re- statistically, from what has been said, he's the reason why uh, like there was a lot of positive movement down his side. I think he fell away a lot towards the end, and I think that that's maybe due to him kind of knowing he was coming off at some point. But yeah, I think he, I think he could have played a lot better. And I think that enough said has been uh, has been said about Limnells. He uh, for me, he's man of the match. I think he was brilliant. Like for, from his goal to the end of the game, he was brilliant. I, I, he he was, um, and I you know I've said enough about him. Gushed enough about him. He was great. Guluris is the and Guluris. Guluris is the striker I I would like to start for Greece. In my in my humble opinion, I would like Guluris to start for Greece. He I think he was in and out of the game. He didn't score obviously, but I think he I think he's one of the better parts of the attack in this game. Um, and then the substitutes for me, Selvas. You know, his his goal was really good quality, like the control <laughs> in the box, yeah. and then to slot it home yeah. from the position he did, like that was that was Sergio Ramos levels of scoring <laughs> as a centre back. Yeah. He was great, he, and he was you know defensively he is pretty much what you want from from a Greek centre back. Mazuras didn't do enough for me, really. Came on, didn't I didn't really notice he'd come on. And Mandalos, I I I'll, the only rating I'll give away. I didn't give him a rating because I felt like he came on and I don't think, firstly, I don't think he did enough for me to give him a rating because it would be unfair for me to just give him a terrible rating. Yes. But, and this is, this is again, something we spoke about at the beginning. Why, why did they take Guluris off for him? And, or, or at least like replace, replace him, like Bacacetas for him yeah. and then bring on a centre forward to replace Guluris, like, yeah, I I was miffed by that to be honest. Yeah, I think I think we definitely all were. I know for me, it definitely the man of the match. Uh, if not Limios, you know Siovas. I think um, you know I thought did extremely well, and of course had that goal. Did what he did not do against Slovenia, which was bring that opportunity down and actually get a good a good shot off of that. But I think he did really well. Some of the metrics are beginning to populate here, and. For Yanulis, Yanulis was very productive in the first half, actually, with Fortunis. And it's, again, this is not a coincidence. When I take, when I take the different uh, data points and I cut off at the point from when Fortunis leaves the pitch, all of a sudden Yanulis mirrors the performance he had against Slovenia, which is offensively, he doesn't do much. Fortunis really helped him get open because those defenders were sitting on Fortunis, double-teaming Fortunis, giving Yanulis time to get forward and space to get forward. When he doesn't have somebody that's actually able to do anything on the wing, it puts more pressure on him. It makes his life more difficult. So, I mean, just as these are populating, uh, you know, I'm sorry, guys, I can only get the, the data as it comes out, and it's being populated very slowly. But, yeah, I mean... It, it's pretty clear to me. I mean, Yanulis, Yanulis can do well on that left side, but he needs a winger that's going to help him stretch that field. 
Yeah, and I just want to jump in with a, a few comments as well. That change at the end with Montalos, I know he has a strong work rate and he runs his socks off, but that just invited so much unnecessary pressure. And he had a few balls where he couldn't hold play up and we just gave the ball straight back to Kosovo. And it, it was clear that you can't even blame him. I blame the coach for that. And if we had eaten a goal um, late in that game, I think Venship would have had a lot of questions asked of him in the Greek media. Yeah, just to quickly jump on that as well. I, I felt like if you're going to bring Mandalos on, at least if you're going to not play him at number 10, at least play him at left mid for the remainder of the game. And then, I don't know, I, I, I think from what I can remember, Mazaras can play at centre forward. So even playing him there, he seems like a more natural fit for that role over Mandalos. If you're going to pick either of them to replace Gouloris at, at the top of the pitch. And it's funny because there was... Uh, at the beginning of the second half, before Fortunis came off, he was playing basically as a false nine almost for a little bit, and Kururis was almost on the wing between the start of the second half and when Fortunis came off. Uh, it seemed like that was almost happening, which is even just more of a, a weird mix-up of the positions. But going to, to your sort of match ratings, and, and obviously we'll, we'll have to log on to Hellas Football, and uh, and check the website for the the true ratings, of course, and uh, those will be up, of course, uh, for folks who are listening now. But I think, yeah, either Limios or Siovas is man of the match. Siovas, I'm a big fan of. He's just big, imposing defender, and I mean, they had the Kosovan Andy Carroll at striker. That that dude must have been at least six foot six. So he was he was a big help. And obviously, Stefanidis, we've talked about how he's not a natural center back. I think he's only five foot ten, and Obviously, he's skilled with the ball, but Shilva's just so big, and uh, I think that helped a lot, both defensively and then, yeah, just being in the right place and doing doing a great job getting the ball at his feet. Looked like a natural striker up there, banging that goal home. Yeah, just to just to quickly jump in again, um, this is completely unrelated. We we never should have sold him at Olympiakos. We never should have let him go. He was excellent for us. I don't I don't know why we. I think I can't remember what season we sold him. I think it was after like fifteen, sixteen. We sold him. I, I yeah, I, 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 that's that. Yeah, that's just what I, my opinion on it. I don't know why we got rid of him because he's such a good centre back. He's so reliable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just stole the words out of my mouth. I wanted to come out and start the rumor right now. Silva's <laughs> just relegated, I believe, with Leganes. Yep. With uh, with Guerrero was there, I think, at the second half of the season. Yep. We need, <laughs> we need a central central defender, I believe, because I I I know I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but I I see Ruben Tomato leaving this summer, if not this summer, in the winter. I think this is a perfect time to bring back Siovas. I know a lot of people don't don't love him because of his pace. There's a lot of jokes about the, his pace, but I think he's he's always been good with the ball and passing. I just remember back in like. God, what was it, 2012, 2013, there were all these compilations of Silvas dribbling and shooting from outside of the box on YouTube. He, I really think he would help Olympiacos out, and I'm probably jumping ahead with that comment, but he would be great to have back. Well, actually, I think it's a perfect timing level because we are, of course, uh, in Olympiacos podcast. And naturally, you know, <laughs> we did just have the international break, so that's the big news right now. But I think it's actually a perfect time for us you know, now that we've really gone into both games for the Greek national team, we kind of switch gears and kind of go into Olympiakos. Yeah. There is a lot of transfer news going on. 
um, you know, the, the big Pepe transfer that everybody's been waiting for. Uh, we discussed him briefly uh, two podcasts ago with what he brings to the team, a possible Guillerme replacement, even though he has a lot of qualities of an eight. Uh, we, that he's in Greece from what I understand, but we haven't gotten his paperwork yet, which appears to be the issue. He is, I saw a photo of him on Instagram wearing an Olympiakos themed mask in the airport in Athens. <laughs> I mean, there were rumors. Uh, these are, these are, I just want to establish, these are fake rumors. This is, this is not true, but I don't know who said this, but for some reason, somebody said that, oh, it's because Benfica have like a percentage of the fee. So they're stopping it from going through. And it, it was, it's not true. But there, I think the yeah, I think from what's been said, the reason why he hasn't signed yet, even when he sh he should have uh, this week just gone, um, I think it's just I think it is just paperwork com complications. They haven't quite got it over the line yet, but uh, apparently it's intermittent from 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 what's being said. Yeah, it's oh my god, the conspiracy theories were flowing for sure. Um, I believe him and Ruben Semedo actually share the same agent, so that was kind of the driver there. Maybe the agent was telling Olibiago, sell Rubens Mato before Pepe signs with you. But that would have been done way before Pepe even arrived in Athens, guys. So I don't believe that. And to be honest, I read somewhere that the club may have come out with a statement, said they're just waiting for paperwork. But Pepe is essentially an Olibiago's paper uh, player. Paper. Um, I think we're just waiting for that to come, come across the line. Hopefully it comes this Monday morning. Hey, it's not great media. There's some good conspiracy theories <laughs> out there about things. And, uh, you know, part of that now, now we hear Tarap coming up. You know, another another player, potential player that is a rumored, you know, player exchange where they will, you know, assuming they have this type of control over Pepe, they would then want, you know, to offer money plus Tarap. And I think there was a center back, a 30-year-old center back for Semedo. Um, you know, whether that's true or not, we don't actually know, but you know, from all from all reports, it looks like Pepe is going to be Olympiacos player coming this week. The uh, another deal that's been held up. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, Steve. Go ahead. No, I was just going to quickly say on on Abel Tarat, and and also Ruben Semedo leaving. I mean, there's been all kinds of deals that have been speculated with Ruben Semedo, especially. You know, they were saying Samaris is part of the deal, or yeah. you know. Uh, and a lot of fans are divided on whether he, they, he should come back or not. Um, and so it's just a weird, it's a weird saga with Semedo. If I think he, obviously he wants to leave. He clearly saw us as a stepping stone, which is understandable. He needed to get his career back on track. Um, and so, you know, if and when he leaves, it, well, hopefully we get the right deal um, and a player to, uh, to compensate as well. You never know. Yeah, and this Adele Tarapt rumor is quite new. And just from what I can remember of Adele Tarapt is he, he played for, was it QPR in England? And he was out of shape and he wasn't rated by the manager. And then he just bounced around. He was in Benfica. But then what I, I, I think it may have been The Athletic. It may have been a different article that did a focus on Adele Tarapt. And he changed positions to actually play more central midfield or central defensive midfield even. And he's been playing that role with Benfica and supposedly his personality has changed. I, I don't know. It'd be an interesting one if he comes in. Um, there's definitely some worries about his past, but interesting, I would say. Well, if you guys remember, he was at Fulham when Garaguni was there. 
and he was one of Fulham's key players back then. He had a really good season for them. And so it's just, it is a very interesting it's a very interesting rumor. I mean, again, we'll see where that goes. Uh, not worth investing too much energy in. Uh, but we have another deal that is being held up. Uh, Jan and Villa, who were that is he's somebody in a previous pod, I think again two podcasts ago that I identified as a, a real replacement for Guillaume. Right? He is a natural number six. The metrics support that, and it looks like Etienne is getting a little greedy you know obviously they wanted to offload his wages and for you know for a lot of the fans that especially that are upset that we're not just throwing money at players the covid market is really straining a lot of clubs we're not the only club trying to swing deals and everybody's trying to offload players and everybody's trying to get players that are relatively inexpensive yeah it really shows this summer well it's not summer anymore but it really shows this transfer window how difficult it is to get players over the line. We've been linked with four, four or five players that we've supposedly come close to getting, but then last minute there, there's been a change in the deal or, or some complication has prevented it from going through entirely. And, and you know, and he is one of them where I think it, um, initially they, he was, I think him, his party and Olympiagos were, had agreed on a, on a deal. Yeah. But then St. Etienne were like, no, we want a fee for him. We can't let him go on a free transfer. He, we have to get money from him. So I, I don't know what the fee is. It's been jumped around like it, it's a million euros and whatnot. But yeah, from what's being said, they, they don't want to let him go for free. Yeah, and an account that's really good, I, I just want to give a shout out, is Olympiacos France or French. They've been all over this Jan and Via uh, rumor. And I think their account tweeted out essentially Jan Envio is on a huge salary over at Saint Etienne, and they would be happy to get to get rid of that salary. Of course, they're trying to negotiate a fee, but I think as the window gets closer to closing, I think they would be willing to get rid of him. It seems that we really want to get him on a free, since we're going to be giving him that big salary. Uh, it's going to be interesting how that that transfer develops, but I don't think it's over, and I think he could very well be an Olympiacos player in the coming weeks. And he would be a very welcome player for us, for sure. Now, another player that we're being linked with looks like he's due in next week. Uh, you guys heard about Trauco. We did a interview. We did an interview with Luis Pineda from uh, the Peruvian Sports Journal, uh, the Tribuna Picante. Possibility about Trauco coming. Would he be a fit? Seemed like he could be a fit, but now it looks like he's definitely on the back burner. We're looking at this player from Rio Avenue, a back named Rice. I will be doing a deep dive on him. I will be do, getting some metrics, doing like a looking at his statistics, what he's done, what kind of player he is. Is he an anti-Tsimikas player? Are we going to be able to expect the same? And the same with Gary Rodriguez, who we're going to get into. But these deep dives take time. So thank you for the DMs, but these, these take time. When I did the, the deep dive into Pepe briefly, just that brief bit last week, that was hours. That took two and a half hours for me to pull match data to really see what he did, get context to everything that he did. It takes time. I will do it, though, I promise. Well, it's interesting you should say that, because I did a cheeky uh, deep dive of my own thank you transfer marked, um, no plug intended. Um, and, I, I mean, without without giving away too much about his stats, it's, it's very interesting. I, I like I like his age as well, 25 years old. Yeah. And from what's being said, you know, he... On, 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 on transfer marks, you know, he, he seems a lot a bit more versatile. He can he can play centre back if needed. Um, 
as well as his natural position of left back. Um, and from yeah, from, from the from without giving what the stats are, obviously because you'll go through that at a later date. Um, I think it's quite encouraging. I'm I'm much more happy with him coming to the club than Trauco. You know, no disrespect to Trauco as a player. Um, I just feel like I feel like Rice is a better fit for us personally. So just the brief look I've done so far, Rice definitely seems to have better defensive metrics than Draco does. Now, that one thing we addressed with Louise and a question we had was, you know, Draco didn't seem to do very well when players were coming in one-on-one against the dribble. You know, he got seemed to get caught. And that was something Louise told us. He's a little bit too aggressive. He has a tendency to go for the ball and not be as patient. It's something he's working on. So just the brief what I've looked at briefly so far is Rice seems to be a little bit better on the defensive portion of that. So just from what I've seen so far, I'm definitely going to agree with you there. He seems like a better fit, but we'll obviously get into more of that. I have much more uh, specific metrics related to that for sure. And then of course, Gary Rodriguez uh, expected in this week. A lot of you may recognize that name. He used to play for Bauk. Um, it's being reported that uh, Galatasaray might be coming to try and swoop in and take him because they want him back. His wages are a concern because he's getting paid a lot, a little bit more than what I think he's worth. And I know that the, the I believe it's a Saudi team that owns him, is supposed to be paying some of his wages as we bring him on loan. I don't know what the details are going to be. Now there's discussions about you know, maybe a small fee. I have, you know, we'll have to see how that turns out. Uh, but again, we'll do a deep dive on him. A lot of players don't want him. Uh, Lambro, I know you're not too keen on him either. I think for Greece, he's fine, especially. I think, you know, we don't have that many natural wingers, but uh, I think he, I think he could offer us something. I'm happy that it's at least alone. Yes. I think that. It's worth giving a go him him a go on a loan, because it, it, I think with Pedro Martins, it seems that he, that's what he's been trying to do to really suss out players that he would like to sign for the future, like with Hassan. I know a lot of people aren't sure, but even now aren't sure about Hassan. But he he proved that he is a capable and useful part of the team. He scores important goals. He comes on and scores. He's important. Whereas somebody like Benzia, for example, he came to Olympiagos on loan and he quite frankly, was fairly bad. We don't use and, that name over here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, he, he, and th- there's a reason why his loan was cancelled right. si- like six months in advance. And and we're lucky that he was on loan because if it was a permanent, you'd have to then just, I don't know, terminate his contract and let him go somewhere else or attempt to sell him to a club that doesn't want him. So at least with Rodriguez, him coming in, if he's bad, he can just uh, go back to his parent club and if he's good, you know, you never know. He, he might sign for us permanently. And that's a really good point that you make, Stephen, with sort of the way that Martins likes to use loans. I will tell you, I watch a lot of English football. My team is Chelsea. If you know anything about Chelsea, you will know that I'm quite familiar with loans. And they sort of use them as just like, oh, we don't want you. Go play in Turkey or something like that. But I sort of like this, this idea of loaning in players sort of as a trial because, as you've said, it's very low risk if we get a player like Benzia who comes in and blows it in the Champions League and doesn't look very good. 
And obviously, yeah, with Rodriguez, there's that additional concern of his wages. Obviously, we'll have to wait and see if maybe we can reach some agreement with the club that actually owns him. But I think it is sort of a good a good uh, strategy to have with, with loaning players in. Yeah, and I just want to jump in on a funny loan story. I remember a few years ago we loaned in, uh, what was his name? Uh, I think the central half, Roderick Miranda, I want to say his name was, oh, from Wolves. And I remember we played like two friendlies, and then reports came out in the Greek media that Olympiakos was trying to terminate his loan almost like two to three <laughs> weeks. And, and that, that never really happened. He got some game time, but that was just hilarious. I remember, I remember reading about him. that during the summer. But he was a center back. Yeah, a, a center back, excuse me. I, I forgot he was even at the club. Like, I, forgot, <laughs> I genuinely forgot. I can't. I, I only just remembered like Miranda, oh, and I just I just remember he was just he just never looked confident, even in the league. You know, <laughs> uh, he just he never struck me as somebody who could consistently play. And I think he did stay the whole season, from what I can remember. So yeah. it must something must have been seen in him to be a part of the squad. But yeah, I'm glad that we didn't sign him. <laughs> That's not really. <laughs> We're getting off topic now, but bringing up Miranda is reminding me of Vukovic. Oh, <laughs> you guys remember? <laughs> How many horrific central halves have we had? Center, central defenders have we had? It's oh, oh god. I felt bad for Vukovic because there were, he came so close to actually being okay for us, but then there were he he basically cost us uh, any real challenge at the title. Yeah, two seasons ago when he scored the own goal against Balkin Birea. And yeah, he, he would just drop clangers like that every so often. And that's not something you want as a centre half. But yeah, I'm completely off topic. But I, I didn't dislike him as much as I've as much as other players have come to the club. I just felt like he just wasn't the right fit. Yeah. And kind of bring us back on topic. You know, Gary Rodriguez, I, I want to remind the listeners because for those that really don't want him there, not up this interview as well, he's a stopgap. He is just a stopgap because remember we have some really important, exciting young talent. Let's not forget, guys. Rabinovich is young. He finally looked like a competent winger. Strung together a couple of consistent performances post COVID. So that's exciting. We're hoping he comes back and really embraces that role and really does something for us. We also have Masudas, of course, who's going to be the starter. His work rate is rated very highly by Martinez, and if he links up well with whichever left back we bring in or Kuteris, if he's healthy and he plays. Hopefully he doesn't go on loan, but, you know, we'll have, we have our two starters there. So bringing in another surefire winger as a stopgap especially is a good thing. We do have Chumich coming in. Everybody's excited about him. He lit up Serbia. We've talked ad nauseum about this guy, but, you know, he's not going to start right away. we got to see how he does. we got to get, you know, mm-hmm. uh, kind of be worked into the team, you know. So this is a stopgap. You know, if he does well, great. You know, if not, it's really no yeah, as, as you've mentioned, my feelings of Gary Rodriguez are known. And from what I've heard from Nicolo Kopoulos and other Greek reporters is that Olympiakos are looking for that Podense replacement, that star winger, I guess. And, you know, Masuas had a good second half of the season, but he's not that. And I'm just, when I hear the name Gary Rodriguez in comparison with Daniel Podense, I get <laughs> I get a little upset. So we'll see how he does, you know. I, I I really trust Coach Martins, and if he sees Gary Rodriguez as the anti-Pedense, I guess I have no basis to question him. He's a great coach, and 
I'll put my faith in Gary Rodriguez and we'll see how that goes. Yeah, yeah for sure. I mean, Mar Martins hasn't done a bad job of picking players out. We have addressed this already. He's, there's, he's picked a couple. Don't get me wrong. He's had a couple that have been awful, like Knockwell. Do you guys remember Knockwell that, that first season Martins was in charge? Dude was awful. I don't think he couldn't even dribble the ball. But most have been at least pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I've said it in my blogs before. I can hold my hands up and say that I've been so wrong about some of the signings he made. Like, I thought uh, El Arabi as well, like, especially. I, when he came in, I, I saw his record at his previous club and I thought, okay, that's good. But can he do it for us in both the league and in Europe? Like, is he just here to play six games in the group stage and then go home? And... I was I was so wrong. I was he was brilliant, you know, top yeah. scorer of the league, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You know that goal against Arsenal that will live long in in our memories mm. for sure. Absolutely. And and Sudani as well. Like Sudani, I thought was just like a stopgap yes. because oh, we're we're, we're you know Marinakis owns Nottingham Forest and he just became such a useful player. And obviously he's out. He was out injured and he's I think he's close to fitness now. But yeah, like uh, so many signings that I thought were just going to be. Like, just not work out at all, and they turned out to be brilliant. Sudani, I believe, has returned to training. I don't know if that means full training. It probably doesn't, but hopefully we can get him back soon. It seems like these big knee injuries, these ACL injuries, I don't know if it's advances in medical technology, but it seems like players can get back very quickly, and, and hopefully he makes a good recovery. Yeah, and you know, Sudani's almost like a new signing. I'm like, I'm so excited to see him back. Uh, he had such a great, great start to the season last year, and he was just doing so well. And I remember we, I think we added him to the champion or the Europa League group, um, <laughs> roster, and I was so excited. And then he tore his ACL, I think, the week of. Yeah. And it was so disappointing. And one thing to note, I think he's had multiple ACL injuries, so just mm -hmm. something to look out for. He's an exciting player, but it's, it's he's a little older. It's 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 yeah. risky for him. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Hopefully he can return to what he was. I you mentioned that he was out of the Champions League squad and I just remember watching every single game and just wishing that we could have had him in there because like he could he just plays all over an attack for us. I always thought it was weird that he wore number 2 when he's like a you know very attacking versatile <laughs> player, but I remember just every game, oh, we need Sudani in here. I can't wait until January assuming we get through and we can throw him in the squad. Well, you know who was part of that Champions League squad? And that's right. It was Yasin Benzi. <laughs> Benzi was part of the squad. <laughs> he was, oh, he was, my God. Uh, but Sudani wasn't for some reason. I don't know. What, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Again, yeah, Benzi. Enough said about Benzi. <laughs> I, just remember, I just remember he was part of that squad against, against Red Star. And I, I couldn't yeah. believe it. That was such a dreadful game. That was very bad. Well... I think uh, at this point we should focus kind of on the, the little impromptu friendly that Olympiacos had. A uh, little friendly against Atromidos. We lost one nothing. Again, nothing I would really freak out about, but there were some things that happened that are of some kind of concern. Uh, namely, I want to focus on the, the player that concerns me, Kafu. Kafu initially, remember, when he was brought in, he was touted as a replacement for Mahdi. Nothing close. Nothing close. He is definitely much more of a six. And if what we saw yesterday is indicative of what he can do for us for the season, he is not a proper replacement for Guillermo. 
Yeah, I, I, I didn't, I, I must admit, I didn't actually follow this game hugely because I think I was covering, I think it was Cyprus uh, when they played Montenegro. I covered that, did a rating yeah. of that. Um, but from what I saw, it just, it was such a, th and again, this is because we haven't brought in any new signings of, to fill those roles, but we had so many players just playing out of position as well. Um, and I remember when Cafu came in, I think it was in January he came in. I, I just, I mean, he, he does a job. I, I don't really, I, I, I get why, I, I get why Martins thinks it's good to bring him in because he supposedly is a replacement for, for Maddie, but. I can't. I can't see that in him. I don't quite know what he what he brings, other than not being a replacement for Maddie. Yeah, and that that January window was super strange. I, I think Hassan came back on loan. I want to say, uh, Kafu came in at the deadline, and Emery Moore came in at the deadline to try and replace oh Benasse. And other than Hassan, who we kind of know who he is and what he does, that those two signings were pretty poor by the club and. I don't want to say they were kind of last ditch, bring them in, bring them in. We need players, but it's kind of, well, Emery Moore, we know now that was the case, but Kafu, I, I, I don't want to say he's a flop yet at this point. We have to see what he does during during the season. If he even makes it to the season, we'll, we'll just have to see. Well, Kafu, the, the weird thing for me, and I, of course I didn't have the knowledge I have now, but when I took a little look into his metrics before he came to us when he was at Warsaw, it's not even close. He doesn't touch the ball as much. He doesn't have as many passes, key passes. Now, he does, you know, defensively, he does, you know, a lot of pressuring, similar, you know, interceptions, number of interceptions, pressuring, uh, recoveries, wins, duels. But he only, he only passes the ball on average like 34, 35 times a game. We saw Gabriel Guillerme was 80 touches a game. You know, I, I just and, – and even Madi. Like, I don't see how you can call this guy a Madi replacement when he only averages one long pass a game, no dribbles, and his forward passes, he has like four or five forward passes a game. It's like another Bacasetas almost. And, yeah, I echo that he definitely – it's very easy to see that he's not a Madi replacement. And he plays – you, most of his appearances in meaningful games since he's been signed have been basically coming on for Guillerme in the 75th minute of a game and playing that same position. That being said, I wouldn't classify him as a Guillerme replacement because it's quite clear we're looking for someone better to be the actual starter there. I think Kafu is fine maybe as a bench player. He's big. He's solid on the ball. I didn't watch this friendly either. I heard, as I think you mentioned, that he didn't really play that well. And it might have been because he was out of position. But, yeah, he's definitely definitely not an eight. That's that's all I know. I don't think he played too badly, especially after the restart. I think he came on yeah. and occasionally did stuff. I, I think he may have even scored at one point. Yeah, he did a yeah. nice Rabona, I think. Yeah. So he does – he brings something, but it's just – I don't think we've quite identified what he brings yet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. As, as a midfielder. Well, I have his player metrics up right now. And in the last, uh, we'll just say the last couple games against Ophiadatis, where he did get a full 90. Uh, again, he he really doesn't, he does, he's not on the ball very often. And we were so used to Guillermo, a guy that would get the ball and switch immediately to the other side of the field, really get, you know, kind of catch the, 
the opposing defense sitting and really get things moving and, and changing things up. He's not that guy. He Now, he is aggressive. I mean, in terms of getting into different positions, defensive positions and winning the ball, he can do that at a similar rate as Guillermo. Not quite as good, but at a similar rate. But Guillermo, we took for granted his ability on the ball. Yeah, and I, I, I know we're getting into Kafu here, and I just want to say I, I caught the first half of the friendly, and it was so hard to find um, a way to f- watch this game, just putting it out there. And that is just such a problem for Greek football, this larger conversation that I'm sure we're going to have at some point. But, yeah, I, I, I just want to point out, it seemed like that first half roster was almost like a cup final run out because we were playing Bruno at right back, um, Hassan and El Arabi together. It was a super, super, super strange lineup. And I, I think Coach Martins made comments at the end of the game, essentially stating that signings are really needed and there's some gaps in the squad. And hopefully that's what comes. I, I wouldn't read too much into this friendly. Maybe Kafu had a bad game, but I think it was just a strange game. And Atromitos had its pretty strong side, to be honest with you guys. They're going to have a good season next year. I'm, I was looking at their team, and they had some nice players playing, uh, what was it, yesterday. Um, but from an Olympiacos point of view, I wouldn't read too much into it, to be honest. Yeah, I'm not I'm not super concerned. Also, we have to remember context. The reason we had such a weird formation, the players that were there were playing. One, three starters, international duty. Two, Remember for the Kipolo guys, FIFA rejected the appeal that the EPO made on behalf of Ike and Ribiakos to use new signings. We can't use new signings. And, you know, Kafu is one player that we had, so that's definitely a guy that's going to see some playing time as a sub or maybe even be on that in that 4-3-3 because there's no Guillerme. So it's probably going to be him. It's probably going to be him, Madi, and Bukalakis there. So it's going to be weird because of what we're limited to do with, in that respect. Yeah, I, again, just jumping on what was said before about how difficult it is to find these games outside of Greece. Even, I mean, uh, from, from my experience of going to Cyprus, that's never really a problem. You can always go to a bar or whatever and ask and they'll normally have it. But other than that, it's so difficult to find these friendlies and you have to delve quite deep online to find a stream that may or may not disconnect halfway through and you have to reconnect and and whatnot it's just it would just be nice that there was a if there was a platform where where it would be so much easier to find these games whether they're friendlies or like actual competitive fixtures i uh watched today's greece kosovo game in a weird russian stream at least i'm pretty sure it was russian i mean i couldn't understand but it sounded russian and yeah, I mean, there's no real ways to, to watch these games. And I mean, I think it's certainly, you know, it's not the list of their, it's not the top of their priorities to make sure that American and Canadian people can watch Greece versus Kosovo or, or watch an Olympiakos friendly. But I think that it is theoretically possible to get these things out there in a way that's more accessible for people outside of Greece. And I think it would only benefit the Super League and just, Greek football as a whole, if this were possible. And I think there are a lot of people with a connection to Greece, whether it's Greek ancestors or just a weird person like myself who finds their way into being obsessed with Greek football. 
that would want to watch that. That's what I find quite nice, though. It's nice to see somebody who hasn't got any like previous affiliation or ethnic background just finding such interest in a, in a football that not is only unfashionable, but is openly criticised by the vast majority of the rest of <laughs> the footballing world, which is a shame because this is why we love Greek football. We love Greek football for the good bits. But every, and especially in, in the, the UK, it's a very closed opinion on Greek football. It's like, oh, we know about Olympiagos. We might know about Panathinaikos. And then you'll see on BBC Sport, the only thing they'll post on there is, oh, Savi, this had a gun in a holster or, <laughs> or the, a, a match got postponed or there was yeah. no crowd or this, that and the other. And it's just like, it's not it's not a major seen as a major league unfortunately um like it was in years gone by at one point the greeks people forget the greek super league was sixth in europe at one point right which is a mind-blowing i didn't even know that i i had to look it up to find that and it's just a shame that there isn't and this is why i started writing in the first place this there is not enough recognition of of Greek teams, Greek football uh, um, in general, I think, outside of Greece. And that's something that maybe is a problem that Greece should try and fix or maybe also should be teamed with something that people outside of Greece should try and fix as well. Yeah, and we've talked about on this podcast the, the issue with the Greek coefficient and the decline in the ranking of, of Greece among the rest of the football associations in Europe and how some of those countries that are sort of alarmingly smaller than us and have less resources than us that are higher. But yeah, it's, it's very crazy. But I mean, I've personally, I just find the atmosphere amazing. I think one of the first Greek games that I watched was with Lambro and uh, there, there were just flares going off and, and they just stopped the game halfway through because there was fog and no one could see. And I'm like, this is, this is, unreal like this is so so unique english football they they stand up and do a chant for five minutes and then sit back down and that's kind of it in terms of the atmosphere greece is just so interesting and there is a lot of quality in the players too we've seen greek players make big moves to big clubs all across europe and they all start in in teams like olympiakos and panathinaikos and whatnot uh yeah i'm I th and I think uh, the coefficient is something I find quite interesting because as, as, Greek, as somebody who's Greek Cypriot, I find it quite interesting that Cyprus's first division is higher. Yeah. And yeah. It's, I, I'm, in a weird, I'm in a weird position where I'm kind of, I, as an Olympiagos fan, first and foremost, I don't think, I don't think that the Greek league should be lower than, no. than the Cypriot first division. However, as a Gibreo, which me obviously for those who don't know is is a Cypriot. I think it's quite cool almost. Not not because of where Cyprus is in comparison to Greece, but because Cyprus is an island of just over a million people and yet they are in the top 15 leagues in Europe and I find that 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 always I find quite interesting and I I quite I almost quite like the fact that Cyprus is seen is even less of a major league than a lot of teams that they are above. And yet somehow they have managed to get propel their coefficient into the top 15. That's what I find quite, uh, I find quite interesting. 
a lot of that is on the success of the heels of Apoel, of course. Apoel had that really great run into Champions League where they went to the quarterfinals and lost to Real Madrid. But yeah, I mean, we, we've discussed, I know we've discussed that coefficient in a previous podcast. And, you know, it's, uh, again, I, I say it not because uh, I'm not saying, I don't mean to say anything negative towards Cyprus, but Greece is a bigger country. It should be doing better. How dare you, sir? Yeah. <laughs> no, no. At the end of the day, like, I... I I, I don't want to see I don't want to see us lose out on European spots. I don't want us to ha- go next next season without having even a Europa League spot. Yeah, that's that's ridiculous. The fact that you know, like I said, at one point I think there were two or three Greek sides that would automatically qualify for the for the Champions League yeah. group stage, and now whoever wins the title next season of starting the first the first qualifying round, yeah. it's just it's just mind boggling to me that 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 the league has fallen so low um, as that. It's just, it's such a disappointment. Yeah. really is. And as, you know, from Olympiacos, really the only thing that we have control over is how well, obviously, we do. We need to do, we need to do very well, not just for the coefficient, but for ourselves. You know, there is, we stand to make, I was reading, I believe it was on Agona Sport that they were, oh no, sorry, it was on Sport 24 when they were discussing the possible payouts. Most people don't realize, I think we're going to bring in over $40 million from the previous uh, Champions League campaign, Champions League Europa League combined. And assuming, assuming that Falk, let's say Falk does make it, Falk finds a way to get past Benfica and get into the group stage after they win their playoff game, we still stand to make, when, the, you know, when it's over, even through the group stage, let's say we lose every game, we still stand to make about $30 million or more. The money is huge, and with coronavirus still here, not really going anywhere anytime soon, we need that money, and we need it not just to upkeep our facilities, but to, to function and continue to do what we're doing, to continue to build, to build and develop talent and players so that we can have midfields that are star midfields like Bukalakis and Kamara and Guillerme, and maybe not a midfield that's Bukalakis and Kafu. You know, <laughs> or yeah, we, we need that money. You just said it there. Before you even kick a ball in the group stage, your team is guaranteed thirty million euros, yeah. and that's a lot of money. Not just for a Greek side, but for a lot of sides who have to go through the qualifying process. And so that's that's so important. And sure, like the Europa League is great. I feel like the Europa League is somewhere where, unfortunately, due to the like in the the financial difference between a lot of the super clubs and the competitiveness of the Champions League itself. It is a place where I feel like, especially Olympiagos can can compete in a more realistic sense of qualifying for the next round. But the money, there's no comparison. The money is something that we, we need. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And um, kind of as we begin to start closing things out here, I actually have a, um, a conjectural question because there's been a lot of talk about Kuteris and kind of what's going on with him. And obviously we don't know for sure what the issue is, but before fully recovering from his injury and really joining the team and training, and he was supposed to go on loan. And there was a deal that supposedly got uh, messed up with, I believe it was a second division German side 
for Fortunis or sorry, Kutris uh, to go on loan. And I thought that was odd. I understood why Kutris went on loan in the middle of last season. He was upset he wasn't getting a lot of playing time over Tsimikas. Well, Tsimikas was having, you know, an amazing year. And Martins didn't seem to, to rate him that high. And now it's kind of seeming like Martins doesn't want anything to do with him and was ready to send him out on loan again. Stephen, what are your thoughts about this whole situation with him? I think I, I have been following this and I just think it's strange. I, I, I mean, we don't know what's going on in the, in the dressing room. It could be like, it could be something to do with his attitude. Maybe it's something that whereby he is kind of, maybe it's similar to Fortunis, where Fortunis initially had a bit of a scupper with, with Martins and, and, you know, he was basically told you're not bigger than, bigger than Olympiagos and Fortunis then eventually fell in line and started put, trying to break back into the first team and started performing again. Maybe he's having issues with Gudris in that respect. I think if, 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 if it wasn't a circumstance of there being a possible attitude problem and Martins maybe not seeing him in his plans anymore, I mean, I would keep Gudris. I think Gudris is the natural replacement for Zimikas. Mm-hmm. Um, now that he's left, and obviously Holebas is here now to to be what Torresidis is on the on the right, and obviously, like I've said before, I think Rice would be a great addition to the to the side. But at the same time, we could save so much money and wages to and just have Gudris there because Gudris, I feel like, is capable of of filling that of that of that role. And I think this could be a case similar to. Um... Mario Vusai, who it seems very is intent on going back on loan abroad. Some players, I feel, sometimes leave Greece and that pressure just drops off of them and they can really develop and they feel more natural abroad. I could maybe see Kutris saying, okay, my first few months on loan in Spain were really nice. It was nice to play for this team without the Greek press writing nasty stories about me if I make one mistake. And I think that's something that Rustai has made clear to the club that he would prefer to go back on loan in Holland or even get purchased by a Dutch club. Some players really prefer it abroad than in Greece. That could be something as well. Definitely a possibility. And I know in a previous podcast we were discussing, you know, Gutris being the, you know, how how well does he measure as a replacement to Tsimikas. And again, you know, as a reminder, Gutris had that starting role. In Martin's first year, Simikas was the starter in the first half of the season, but Simikas had some performances where he kind of stumbled, wasn't doing so well with the ball, or maybe defensively, and Kutri started to make a couple of appearances, but then the entire second half of the season, it was Kutri's all the way. And then, you know, one of the only bright spots before Martins came in, in that abysmal season following Haziz's destruction of the squad, Kutri's was really the bright spot of the team. That I was literally just going to say, even further back from uh, the season before last with Martins, like that that season, as I as I refer to it, I, I think Gutierrez was probably apart from Brodo in um, in goal as the goalkeeper. I, I think Gutierrez was probably our player of the season. He was like the only player who was trying anything, like in terms of work rate, in terms of attack, um, on on the left hand side, um, and. Yeah, I think he, it seemed like 18-19 he and Zimikas at first shared the role and then he took over the mantle a bit more because Zimikas was fairly inconsistent, to, to put it, I guess, harshly, in 18-19. And then eventually, yeah, obviously, like we know, Zimikas took the role. So 
I, I, I like, and I've said before, I, I, I would like Gudris to stay, but if it's a circumstance of him wanting to go to passes new and try something else and maybe get away from, from Greece and play in a different league and in a different environment, then, oh, you know, it should, maybe is that his, it should be respected on his part. Yeah, and I just want to say there were madmen who raided Kutris over Jimikas. I'm looking at myself. <laughs> metaphorically <laughs> these do, guys do know you, it very uh, well do you recall the exact words that you used Lavro in a text message with us with regards I, to Chimikas I think that better stay uh, perfect, you know uh, I, guess, we I guess know, we're I've trying to rated. stay we're trying to stay clean we're trying to stay uh, swear we're, we're trying to keep the language uh, <laughs> I always said Chimikas would be sold to one of the biggest teams in Europe and it's a huge money move <laughs> I don't remember anything else <laughs> oh man well steven thank you so much for joining yeah. us man this was this was fantastic yeah uh, i've always enjoyed reading your articles that's very uh, and, kind and everybody else on elas football as well you know before we really did this and you know kind of after um most of the greek soccer forums just kind of died um i actually did go to elas football the last couple months prior to us starting this to get some information and you know, just, just to read what was there. So, you know, thank you so much for keeping up with it. I hope you guys do continue to keep up with it. Yeah. And, you know, your colleagues as well, I think it would be fun to have, uh, you know, some different teams uh, on the podcast as well. Maybe when we Olympiakos plays them or we can do some spotlights on them, that would be fun, I think. Yeah, um, I really appreciate this, the sentiment. It's very kind of you guys. It's so nice to be on here. I'm gonna fully admit I asked to be on here because I was, so, I was I, because I was so I was so excited. Like for for years, I have looked for a anything, any podcast, anything in terms of that m media relating to Greek football. Even even I I I, I wait for like anything British related for them to mention Olympiagos, even like even if it's just mentioning them. And so for for you guys to have that on a weekly to two, like every like two times a week basis like it's great it's nice to have uh, a place where we can kind of like share an interest and opinions on on greek football via a podcast and that's just something that i really appreciate yeah and and we appreciate you for saying that and uh given that you've given us a very long nearly two hours of excellent discussion uh, we'd like to give you the opportunity to plug anything you want. Obviously, we've talked about Hellas football, and I think if if you want folks, if you want people to know where to find you anywhere on social media, by all means, uh, now is the time. Yeah, sure. I mean, first and foremost, I will plug Hellas football because they are the guys who gave me the opportunity to put my stuff out there in the first place. Uh, like mm -hmm. you said on Twitter, they are at Hellas Footy. We also have an Instagram account. We also have a Facebook account. We even have a YouTube account, which I wasn't aware of, but we do have a YouTube <laughs> account. Um, my my Twitter handle is at Steve Konturu or Gunduru. Um, the surname is very long. It is K-O-U-N-T-O-U-R-O-U. -O -U -O -U. And I also have, um, I, think my, I think my Instagram is that Greek, no, that Cypriot boy, I think it is. I need to change that. <laughs> yeah, that, that, and that's, my, that's my Instagram. So yeah, for sure, guys. If, if you guys could send love to, to, especially like everyone at Gate 7 and also at Hellas Footy, that would be most appreciated. Of course. We definitely will. Definitely will. And, uh, you know, definitely going to have you back on at some point. 
for sure, uh, for sure. Yeah, I'd love to be back whenever you guys want me to just chat about anything. Yeah, get, get me on. Yeah, totally. Um, I think that's about all we have. So thank you everyone for listening. If you've made it this far, thank you once again, Stephen, for coming on. We've hope, we hope you've enjoyed it. And we will be back probably during the week. And if not during the week, sort of depends on if anything happens. If not during the week, then we will have another guest next weekend. Hopefully the Greek Cup happens. Anything could happen at this point. But we will see you all soon. And thank you very much for listening.